Adam Schwab, thanks for joining me. Co-founder and director of Lux Group, which owns online retailer luxuryescapes.com. Welcome to Discipline and thanks for joining me. Now we're going to jump straight into some questions about your youth. Um, when you were a young man, what did you actually want to be when you grew up? A couple of things. I wanted to be a lawyer from probably 12, 13. I ended up becoming a lawyer briefly. Uh, not really knowing what, what law involved. Uh, I wanted to be an actuary for a little while. Uh, and I think probably wanted to be a CEO for a little while as well. So I had a few sort of things. Uh, never an astronaut or a football or anything like that, but uh, it was always sort of business-related. Yeah. And um, you then went on to study law at Monash, um, and you did legal work. Was it Freehills? Yeah, so I was a paralegal at Freehills for about three years. Yep. So I used to write a mining report for a, a mining partner, actually. So it was less legal, more business. Uh, and then I did another report, and then after three years became what's called an article clerk, yep. so first year of law, and then did a so practice about a year and a half in mergers and acquisitions, and then uh, left, so took a leave of absence, actually, with a good friend of mine, Jeremy, and we started our first business, which was a backpacker apartments business back in 2004. What led you to then say, you know, I want to take a leave or want to look somewhere else? Or... Uh, it was probably Jeremy, actually, who was, who was probably more uh, assertive. He, he was at ANZ and, and didn't love it there and wanted to do something, and we came across this business idea of backpacker apartments, which we could do with very little capital, and we started that, and... And Jess said, why don't, we take, why don't we do it full time? I said, well, I'll take a leave of absence and give it a crack. And so we, we actually started the business in well, Cup Day 04. And I was with leave of absence in about mm, April 05. So it was sort of six months we ran it in, in beta or pilot. And then after six months, we gave it a real crack. And then after a sort of month and a half, two months of that, went back to the partners I worked for and said, probably not coming back, guys. And, and there was no great disappointment from anyone there. Yeah. Uh, it was still made a great friend of Free Hills and, and still got their functions and played footy for them for years. But uh, I think I was always a bit more suited to business than more. So going back to the childhood, did you have a, an entrepreneurial business when you were a kid, like a paper run or cleaning? Yeah, never did a paper run. I did a little bits and pieces. I so was... I mean, one of my bus stops was on a milk bar, so I'd buy lollies and people wanted to buy them. So I'd end up buying more and more lollies and sold them on the bus. It wasn't an official business, and I think I stopped it after a little while for whatever reason. But doing bits and pieces like that, in, when we were in year, the final year of school and first year university, Jerry and myself sold uh, our assignments. They're called cats, so we, we put them on a CD-ROM, which back then was, was cutting edge. Uh, put them on a CD-ROM, bought some other people's cats as well, that were good ones, and sold sort of 500s of these CDs at a, at a year 12 fair in Camberwell Town Hall. So that was our, probably our first, wasn't a real business, but our first somewhat of a business. So it was a nice business, made some money out of it with a, with a different partner. Um, and yeah, it was a sort of little thing we had. 20, 20 years later, it would have been the online marketplace for uh, crib notes. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure there is one. There's now. probably a couple yeah. of them. And that wasn't enough to tip you into the business side. You still went down the professional path. Yeah, well, you, I think once you've studied law and you sort of get put in that funnel, and it's hard to hard to escape it. It's pretty rare that the people who do law get reasonably good marks and don't become a lawyer for yeah. at least a year or two. Yeah, yeah, and it's good discipline. Yeah, so, you, I often talk about what what people ask about what do you get out of law. I say, well, you, certainly being a lawyer, you get this amazing discipline of doing things, preparing folders, and making sure every page is right. And obviously, yeah. a lot of people in our current business who, who are fantastic, fantastic people, but haven't had that professional training and just don't have that level of precision that you yep. get at a law firm, accounting firm, investment bank, consulting firm, uh, because you're working for clients, you're charging a lot by the hour, things have to be right. Yes. Especially a top tier firm. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things I learned with that, and, and it can be frustrating, 
um, is that Supreme Court test. Like you've got to prepare something that will stack up, yeah. at, you know, at a very high level. Um, and if you're not doing that, well, partners won't sign off on it. Sure. You probably won't keep your job for very long in yeah. those top-tier places. So I think law is a tremendous discipline for people. Um, and I always look at someone favourably when they come in and say they've studied it yeah, at least. But if they've practised it, you know they're going to have a level of um, thoroughness and diligence yeah. about their it's work. It's also when you've been a lawyer for a couple of years, you, you don't get bullied as much. So you get, might get a random legal letter from a supplier or whatever. And a lot of people can get freaked out by that, but if you've had any sort of legal training, yes. you don't get freaked you out because you've written them and you know you know what's in the mind of the person writing it. So it's a, it's much harder to get bullied. You've probably said more from, than you've received. Um, I don't know actually. Probably received more, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, like we're very rarely certainly in terms of customers, very rarely ever get legal action yeah. taken against us. I don't think we've ever lost anything. Um, and from suppliers, again, pretty rare. We're in a pretty win-win business here, so that doesn't really happen much. But across, we've had other businesses across the line, and, and absolutely had legal instances where we've had to sort of be on be on full point. And, and it's absolutely been handy in terms of knowing what you can do, what you can't do, and how aggressive you can be when yeah. you pull back, when to go hard, uh, what lawyers to use, who's a good lawyer. So there's it's definitely benefits you get, and, and a lot of ground entrepreneurs, company owners are lawyers. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's coincidence. I don't think it's coincidence either. Um, now, going back to your childhood, though, uh, someone told me, or maybe I read, maybe even you mentioned once <laughs> before, that you won a TV game show, Sale of the Century, at age 20... 21, I think I was. 22? Around, around that time. What, what, what did that do for your confidence, if anything? Oh, I was always pretty confident. Um, but it was, it was good recognition, and everybody watched it back then. It was actually great fun being on the show, so it was, it was a great experience. Uh, it's sort of great dealing pressure and first time on properly on TV. Actually, probably first time ever on TV, and uh, obviously it wasn't filmed live, but but it was. Uh, especially being so young, it was a great experience, and I thought took the show off not long after, so it sort of just just made the cut. But yeah, it was a great experience. <laughs> has, has everyone refused to play Trivial Pursuit with you since? Not that I'm okay Trivial Pursuit, but Trivial Pursuit is more about speed, or Trivial Pursuit more, it's more about knowledge. And I was always pretty quick, as you might be here from my, my fast talking, so. Um, sales entry was perfect for me. Yeah. Uh, it's about guessing the questions, not the answers, yeah. in a way, uh, and being super quick, whereas Triple Shoot's a bit more about broad knowledge, and I'm, not, I'm okay, but I'm not, I'm not amazing. I, I reckon you would be amazing, and I'm not playing Triple Pursuit with you. <laughs> um, now, one of your, your key brands, uh, Luxury Escapes, has a new CEO, yep. and so you have stepped away from a role that you've held for a, a long period of time. Um, when you made this appointment, what were you actually looking for in a CEO? Were you looking for someone like you or were you looking for skills that you didn't have? Probably a bit of both. We brought Cam on as CEO originally and he stepped up probably six months later. Uh, and obviously the business is at a, is at a uh, sort of pivot point now. Where we're, we're not a massive business, but we're getting bigger. So 250 staff in four continents, it's, it's getting bigger. Uh, and Cam's had great experience at Jetstar, at Lonely Planet, at, at uh, Australian Uni. So running bigger businesses. So I think having the comrade, I'm still around helping him and, and helping some of the guys, but having someone who's, who's had experience in a bigger business is really helpful and allows me to do some other stuff as well. And I was nine years ago, they off, so it's a really nice win-win for the business and I think for me as well and for the family to be able to still maintain a great connection to the business and be in uh, quite often helping out, helping out the team and mentoring the team, but, but also giving the, the main raids over to someone who's, who's really fantastic. And was it was it you who, who you know, thought, oh, maybe I'll step down, or had someone suggested it to you? I think it was a combination of people. It was, it was board, it was, it was shareholders, it was everyone thinking probably now is probably the time's right. And 
we all came to the decision together and, and my role going forward was was worked out and, and it was ended up to working out really well, I think. Now, how hard was it to hand over the reins? Oh, actually, not really that hard. After the, pretty much as soon as I did it, I went on a two-month break, my first proper holiday in, in nine years. I've been away, but this did is that, what I thought was that great. Oh, absolutely, yeah. it was great. and had a great time with the kids and, and Lizanne and saw a bunch of places and, and it was, yeah, really good. So I'm still working other businesses. I'm executive chairman of a business called Bookwell, which is really exciting. A uh, bunch of boards. So still lots of stuff to do and helping out here a little bit. Obviously, still directly here. So I uh, never stepped away completely anyway. It's, but it's been a nice combination of different things. And I know, obviously, the business has got a huge amount of legs and, you know, a huge amount of upside still. Um, but from your time in that role, if you look at it sort of dispassionately, do you think you've achieved everything you wanted to from a from a personal level? Is it you tick that box? Oh, probably a lot more. I think when you, when you start a business with three people, you don't have very high expectations. Uh, I think if you do $10,000 <laughs> a week or whatever, that's a good result. Uh, so, yeah, farm, we never expect the business to be like this. Uh, we're all just two guys who who try a few different things and got, got pretty lucky. Uh, I don't, yeah, we never would have dreamed it would be this this size of business. And obviously, there's big, many bigger businesses than us, but we never expect that business turning over hundreds of millions of dollars with hundreds of staff yeah. across the world. Oh, I, I personally don't believe in a lot of lucky business. I think, you know, it's a bit like uh, I always use the sporting analogy of boxing. You know, you've, you've got to be in the ring to be able to land a, a knockout blow. So, yeah, there is some magic dust that gets sprinkled, but you've got to be in the right place to get that. So with that in mind, you, you, you stood, stood in the ring, you stayed in the ring. What were the things that stopped you from failing or, you know, you've taken, everyone takes punches. So what were the yeah. things that either stopped you from getting knocked down or getting back up? I think, I think one thing, and, and which is, it is a bit of lucky in terms of the business model we have, is a, what's called a negative working capital business. We get paid by our customers before we pay out hotels. Uh, and the beauty of that is you don't have to raise a whole lot of money along the way. So one of the things that makes it really hard, and as you know, Tony, being involved in the space a long time, hard for young businesses is you've got to, not only young businesses, you've got to raise money at the same time. So it's two challenges, potentially three challenges, if you've if you got to set up two parts of the marketplace, for example. So with us, we have to work really hard on this, getting our great products, so getting our deals which are the best in the world is pretty hard. We never have to worry about raising money at the same time because our, we were profitable almost from day one and had lots of, lots of positive cash from day one. So we had a good run there. Uh, in terms of, I guess, stuff we did we did well and we did bad. We did lots of stuff wrong. I think one thing we do well, though, is learning from mistakes pretty quickly. And we had some really good people, Jeremy, Mark, Josh, sort of four of us were from the core of the business initially. And we're all just really keen to try things and learn and, and get better. Uh, and it was a really unique blend of talents that allowed us to, to grow a business in a pretty competitive space, which has really well-funded competitors. So it's a... Uh, yeah, we've done more things wrong than, than this podcast could could fit. Uh, but I think the one thing we do right is when we do something wrong, we tend to learn pretty quickly from mistake and, and course correct. And that's, I mean, that's a good business trait. Uh, what about personality traits of you and your other uh, founders and, and partners? What, what do you think unified you in, you know, continually going over the parapet ready for battle? I think we're all pretty hard workers. And, 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 and uh, it's just maybe in a different sense, but certainly Josh, myself and Mark were all pretty hard workers Jeremy's good strategically and directionally and really understood customers and where the business needs to go. So we all sort of brought different strengths to the table. Uh, and we had a really good team. Dan Mark, one of our very first um, sales head, still with us, uh, superstars. We've got a, a lot of people who have come in with us the whole way along. My wife was a really cool financial control and CFO for our business. So I've had 
a lot of fantastic people from the early days who stayed with us a long time and were able to build a business from, from was nothing to, and we've pivoted a few times. So we were originally a local experiences business and realised, yeah. yeah, local experiences is a is a pretty good business, but travel's more scalable. So let's invest more and more and focus more and more on travel. So my time became almost exclusively travel, but largely travel probably from 2013, 14. So it's really changed our focus. And that's what, Grew luxury escapes in the last six years. And you pivoted as a business from deals.com.au, which had a range of different experiences or product set, into purely travel. What was the indicator? What what, what happened that made you go, uh, we can focus on travel? Yeah, well, we still actually own deals.com as part of our like, everyday brand, which is Coupon's the biggest business on Kudo and Treat Me New Zealand. So we still have that business, it still prospers to this day. But travel always had the best unit economics, so the right. biggest basket size, great um, customer dynamics, they return a lot. Our partners, our hotel partners, loved it, it was made them lots of money. So it was a really great win win win. You don't see that many win win wins in business. You know, there were some great businesses, Airbnb is a great example. But there, there aren't that many great win 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 businesses, and this is one we could see was win win win. So that back in 2013, when we, we had the deals and, and the for business and just bought Kudo and looking to roll out a luxury travel band brand because just to, to work with some of these great brands needs to be in a really nice environment. We happened to buy a business called Getaway Lounge from, yeah. from DynamSN and the DynamSN guys wanted the Getaway brand back understandably because they had the TV show so the timing worked perfectly. We were starting Luxury Escapes anyway uh, so rolled Getaway Lounge into Luxury Escapes and got a bit of a, ro- a running start back in 2013 so we really knew what we were doing. We are really running that same business model as part of deals.com.au now just was, was spending for itself under its own brand, really invest heavily in the brand, heavily in the customer journey, heavily in the customer experience. Yeah. All the mistakes we made in the first three years, we knew we, didn't, we couldn't make again. So how do we pay merchants? How do we make, keep merchants happy, hotels happy? How do we make sure that the customer, the client, is happy the whole way through their journey? And was that, was, that, was that an active process where you actually sat down and said, this is how we're going to transition? Or did it, it just no, evolve? it just evolved. Yeah. But we... We've done, we've bought a bunch of businesses over the journey, so we, we were used to starting and integrating brands and starting teams, lots of stuff. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a new thing for us, but it was, we could do, we have a very clean slate for the brand. So yep. our, our NPS for Luxury Escape is about 73 mark, which is almost world-beating for travel, world-beating for any business, let alone travel, which is a, traditionally a hard business to maintain a super high NPS on. So our customers really love us, which is probably the best thing about this business. And that customer love creates referrals and creates a, a viral growth means our, st- our team's really happy because you're getting really happy customers. Yeah. like you're working at a bank, which is hard work because your customers don't always like you, but working in travel, you're selling happiness. So yeah. customers love us. And we're able to have a, a really happy, harmonious team and, and hopefully provide great value to our, our customers and our clients and sort of sit in the middle and facilitate that. Sounds like an ideal place to be. Yeah. What about M&A then? So you've bought, you, you mentioned there you bought some businesses along the way, done some mergers and acquisitions. Um What's been the reason behind some of this? Is it footprint? Is it, was, it brand? It's really getting scale for our local business. Yeah. And we bought some other, a couple of product business trying to diversify. And it turns out the, the, the strategy probably wasn't well thought out. So we definitely benefited from the scale, but we probably could have focused a bit more heavily on travel and probably could have gotten here faster. But we diverted um, development resources and all that sort of stuff. So now, since we've had sort of a two-year, three-year focus, really heavy focus on travel, so we did a deal with catch the day where we split out other businesses and travel only. It allowed us to build, rebuild the whole platform from scratch. We yeah. just launched that, we think, a world-leading flights platform, so the best flights platform in the world. Uh, so we're able to really focus heavily on, on really making our customer experience and user experience 
first class, best in show, and we couldn't do it as easily when we had multiple different businesses. So yep. it's been a, a really, really great opportunity to, to focus on the business that was probably the most upside in the long term. And going through that process of mergers and acquisitions is always a you know a challenge for a business, integration of uh, new personnel. One of the hardest things I've always found, having done mergers and acquisitions as well, is you know who stays and who goes. How how do you deal with that on a, at a personal level? Yeah, I mean, how do you distance yourself from the human factors? And moreover, how do you make the decision? How do you work out if you? I think we actually do the opposite. We don't distance ourselves at all. So if you look at the, I mean, we've done acquisition for probably three or three years or so, but we did so fifteen or so over the, over that five year period. And generally, so Josh, who was who's one of our executive directors would often find that we can do a lot of negotiating, do the sort of heavy lifting at that stage, and then we do the deal, and Josh would focus on the tech side, and I'd focus on the people side, we both do the commercial stuff, so and I work, I'd work really close with the business we bought, so usually there'd be a pretty good manager in there, not, not often, and almost always not the most senior manager, they're usually overpaid and, and not always that good, but usually there was a, some of them can be, but usually they're not, and then there was usually a second or third or fourth person there who was, who was generally really good, so I'd usually work with that person to um, to work out who we want to keep, and this is both sides. And you never just buy a business and sack everyone. You can buy a business and look at who, who are the best people, how many people can we keep as many as we, we want to try to keep as many as we can because you want revenue synergies rather than just anybody can fire someone that doesn't make a great business. You want to try and find well, how do we, how do we put this together and yep. cut the right costs, yep. tech costs, all these kind of stuff. So, uh, obviously, there are people who inevitably go, but in, by the time we sort of got to the last transactions, we very rarely end up making anybody redundant. We usually people would self-select out and you work really hard to keep the people you wanted to keep from, from both businesses. And you had to work super hard. One of the things I just focused on was going into the business we bought, sitting in their office for the first month and, and working really hard to make sure that good people stayed. Because yeah. the inevitable response is of fear and nervousness and, and just looking for new jobs. And if you don't get up to that quickly, they, you lose your best people. Yes, yeah, probably one of the most difficult things to do in business is transition a smaller business into a bigger business and keep the right people. So in that, has there been... In some case, in most cases for us, we're actually buying bigger businesses. Right. Now. So it was really a smaller business buying the bigger business. So it's harder again. But yeah, it's a, I think it's just understanding the people and understanding what, what where... And often the people would have left anyway had no transaction occurred. So you're often fighting against the tide. So you've got someone who was going to leave anyway, plus you're adding uncertainty on top. How do you keep them? And we had a pretty good record at the end of, of keeping people. And certainly by the last one, we kept almost everyone who wanted it. People who left, the people who are self-selected out, who are struggling anyway. So now, A reduces redundancy costs, and B means you keep the best people, and C means you just have less unhappy people. So when when you're buying a bigger business, um, are you able to fund this? Being able to fund them all out of free flowing cash? Yeah, or is we, it... we we use equity sometimes. So for brands exclusive, which we bought from a company back then, was called APN. Now it's called HGNE. We used equity. Uh, in hindsight, probably not the wisest move because equity has appreciated since then, and that and the business wasn't. We ended up selling it for not very much, so probably not our, our finest hour. But, but yeah, generally we, we, we used either cash flow or, or equity to, to purchase. And when, and when you're doing things like an equity deal to acquire a business, you've got multiple partners or stakeholders. Um, people are at different points of life, have different appetite for risk. How do you manage that process? How Has that been difficult? Do you mean shareholders? Or, yeah. Um, I, I think shareholders are always difficult. Everybody has different um, investment horizons and different models, different risk profiles, different investment levels and different other money. So, yeah, that's always a balance. We've got some investors who have heaps of money, some investors who have not that much money. So it's a, um, it's always a balancing act to make sure that you try and keep everyone happy. But uh, I think it's trying to make the right call uh, and, and 
hopefully the investors will, will back that. And have you ever been in the situation where investors have wanted a different strategy, perhaps earlier earlier on in the piece, oh, and you've seen yeah, things differently? There's often times where I've disagreed. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a happy disagreement. It's not as if yeah, ripping each other's throats out, but not everybody agrees on everything. I think it's just how do you find the best ones. Now, I might pull you up there because you said it's not ripping each other's throat out, but looking at the time you were going to or toying with potentially listing the business, there yeah. was a problem with a, a shareholder, a potential shareholder, and um, I think the words that I read were saying you could potentially fuck him over in this transaction. Um, was, that a, was that a stressful time? Oh, that was actually well before. So that was a really early employee, and that was well. That was in the business still very small. Right. So um, without going into great detail, those words weren't actually said. It was, a, it was quite different. But um, and that, that employee settled for a, a fraction of what he was asking for in yep. the first place. So uh, ultimately. It's hard not to feel sort of empathy for or sympathy for someone who sold their shares pretty early and the share price increases. It's not it's, hard, it's not uncommon for somebody to want to come back and ask for more money. And so you sort of feel for him in that regard. Um, could have been done a more efficient way, probably, for everyone. But but yeah, unfortunately, in statement of claim, you can say whatever you want and there's no defamation uh, action that you make. So had someone said that to a paper, you would obviously take a legal action you can't in a, in a statement of claim, unfortunately. Yeah. So, so you're sort of a bit restricted by that. But obviously, uh, those things sometimes leave scars, whether they're just uh, superficial level or, or deep. You know, you lie awake thinking about these things. Going back, is there something you would give advice to people who are looking at employee type share agreement, ESOP agreements? Is it? Uh, well, that wasn't ESOP. That was actual hard shares. And do you? It's, it's always really hard when you're discussing shareholders agreements and all that kind of stuff from day one because the business hasn't got any value then. So either have this massive argument and never never start the business and never and never get a chance or you agree to something that's suboptimal which everyone ends up doing and we certainly did on a number of occasions and then have to deal with the, the overhang later which obviously we did and which everybody does so anyone who's a social network yes or whatever, <laughs> it's almost a badge of honour if you, if you haven't been sued by a shareholder who sold out you haven't around a very successful company so and then that guy obviously reached out to him over the years and, and um, he got some money out of it so hopefully he had a he did well in the end, but but yeah, it's it's hard not to almost feel sorry for someone who sold out too early as yeah. well. But your advice would be, you got to do the deal if you want to make a business. You you sometimes got to eat. Obviously, you want to do the best deal you can. Yeah, uh, and in hindsight, maybe we we, did, we didn't always, but um, it's always just a learning experience. There's ways to do it, and there's ways not to do it, and we probably didn't always do it the right way in terms of for ourselves. Uh, probably too soft sometimes, and ultimately, you just you, you play the hands, you play the cards dealt. And you, you, once the situation arises, years to come, you just have to, to do sort of. I think ultimately the truth should come out, and the right thing should get done, or enough of a right thing should get done that you can certainly move on. And like, I never really think about that ever. Yep. Sorry for bringing it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, one of the other things, I mean, you, you've obviously been um, very successful, and in this modern day of startups and entrepreneurs. You, you know, successful entrepreneurs get pedestaled. Some I've heard the saying, they're the rock stars of today. Think Elon Musk and Mark sure. Zuckerberg. Um, and then this kind of profile you get on things like your, your BRW uh, rich list. So one of the things is, um, you know, does that help? Does it actually open doors for you or, is it, or do you find it intrusive? We're, in on, the, we're on the young list, which is not quite the proper list. So it's a very different uh, entry requirement. But no, I don't think so. I think it's, I don't know how many people look at it. Um, and it's, it's only if I've sold the business, so it's just a bit of a guess. And I remember when they came with their first guess, it was laughably high. And I had the big argument say it should be a fraction of that, and they ended up 
going a lot higher than what I suggested. So it's a, we're always always sort of pretty bearish on what we think we're worth. Yeah. Uh, eventually somebody buys the business in 10, 20, 50, 100 years' time and then that crystallises what you've created. But till then, it's all just hypothetical anyway. And you do have a lot of young people, I've, I've come across a lot who, you know, have this figurative journey in their brain of being the next Zuckerberg or someone like that and they, they want the adulation, they want the publicity. Do you have any sort of advice about you know, putting the cart before the horse and actually the building blocks of business? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Some people, some businesses, entrepreneurs certainly seek the PR and sometimes they help their business, sometimes it doesn't. There's plenty of examples where uh, Cam has been pretty good at PR and they're a phenomenally good business and they've got unbelievable valuations, a great success story. Uh, there's plenty of it, but for every Cam, but there's plenty of businesses that, that got lots of kudos and, and then died. So, so um, and I won't mention their name, but they were coming out there. So, yeah, I'm not... If it can help your business, PR can be a good thing. Um, I think you should be careful not to put the, as they put the car before the horse, make sure you've got a good, genuine, underlying business there. And, and PR comes your way, so be it. If you go after it, so be it. But I think the PR should be focused on the business, not, not the people so much. Interesting. Um, and a good lesson, I reckon. A lot of people just want the publicity and the hard work that underpins that sometimes is, is lacking, yeah. which leads me to the next thing, investing. So you... Uh, invest in a few businesses along the way. Yep. I think one of the ones was the um, the uh, Blue Thumb yep. Art Marketplace. Um, so I'm sure you see hundreds of pitch decks. If you are looking to put money with a business, um, what are you looking for when you when you see a pitch deck? What stands out? I don't see you? hundreds. I've seen a lot less than the industry itself or VCs would say, but I see a bit as a sort of small angel. Uh, I certainly look for the people. Like I really like the people. Uh, that's a really key element. And obviously, does does the business model is it broadly going to be successful? Is there enough TAM? Is it is is that is that solving a problem? Uh, if all if the, if the, and obviously like people can pivot. If someone's good enough, they'll pivot to a different business. But do I broadly think if someone really strong is running this business, it could be successful? That, that's a, so this is the people and the court bay business model. If you don't have the bay, if it's a terrible business model, it doesn't matter how good people are. I'm still not going to invest in it disaster but if it's a pretty good business model and really good people it's probably still okay and it's a great business model great people it's really good so it's still looking at those two things uh, the backgrounds how, how hungry are how gritty are they um, and does the business sound was the business founded because they had a genuine problem or were they just trying to do something for the sake of doing something because it's cool to start up yes and what about uh, global scale? Is that something you look at? Oh, actually, less. So people love global scale, but most of the businesses I've invested in probably aren't global scale. Yeah. Some of them could be, but most of them, there's plenty of great Australian seek REA, car sales, great Australian businesses. I don't know they've all got operations outside Australia now, but they were still very successful businesses before that. So there are plenty of, there's, there's a big marketplace here. I mean, you like a business I was a really tiny shareholder in. It was Australia only and so forth. It was a building. So there's plenty of great great businesses that never left Australia and yes. great variations and did very well. So I'm not one that has to be the overseas angle, but if it's a business that can scale overseas, all, all better. It seems to be something that's sort of permeated from VC world, you know, VC scale business. So, yeah. you know, again, for people listening, there are plenty of very profitable Australian businesses you could make and turning over a business that, you know, turns over three or $4 million and blows off for yourself a million dollars worth of cash could come with a lot less headaches than trying to build a, a global-scale business. Well, you go look at the, the VC model, they need to pick big winners and they don't care if they have a few losers. So if you have five winners, five losers, and a VC fund, you're doing really well because the winner's going to 
three, four, five, six, ten X and it loses it just one X. So that's as every leaser knows that they, they want to maximize their upside, they don't care so much about the downside. So it's a, versus an angel, which is what I consider myself as, I care about the downside and the upside. I'm not always making 10, 50, 100 baggers, but if I can get a, a 20, 30% cash on cash return annually, that's a pretty good result. So I'm trying to look for businesses that can deliver that rather than the the thousand exits. You mentioned it earlier, talking about you know having to build a business and get capital. Yeah, I mean, is this is this something that people should be doing immediately, going out? Oh, Often it's pretty it. hard to do a business with that, unless you're really lucky and you have a certain business that's negative working capital. You certainly need capital. The book world business that I'm working with the guys on, we're raising capital now. So it's we're just quite lucky at Lux that it's an unusual business. So yeah, the raising of capital is is, is a core requirement now of most because you're not going to get that. Yeah, until you get to the almost yeah. profitability. So it's, um, unless you've got your own significant savings. So absolutely the capital is a big factor. But the two things I sort of talk about when we started our business that we think is reflective is don't don't force an idea. So don't quit your job and stay home writing an iPad. Wait, let the idea come to you through a problem you generally see. And the second thing is when you get that great idea, actually properly invest in it. So don't, don't work a full-time job and do it on the weekend because this is never going to work. I don't think any business that I can think of to be successful Two hours a week. Yeah. Throw it in, pack it in, give it, give it 100%, go back to your job or get another job if it doesn't work, but actually give it a really hard crack. There's, yeah. not, there's no guarantee of success by any stretch. There's lots of people who gave up everything and couldn't get it to work, but it's like when you're playing golf, you're never going to get a, the putt in if you don't go past the hole. You've got to at least get to the hole. Yeah. So give it, a, give it an actual shot. Give it a shot. Um, what about, uh, you know, in life and in business, a lot of people talk about the uh, importance of a mentor. Have you been lucky enough to have some mentors along the way? Oh, sure, I didn't. Uh, and we had a chairman, a guy called Pat O'Sullivan, who's chair of Car Sales, who's best best directors, if not, not the, one of the best directors in Australia. And I, he was chairman of us for a while. And after he stepped aside there, he stayed on as sort of my mentor then, which was, which was unbelievably helpful. And uh, just have some of his experience and knowledge and caliber and intellect and, and generosity uh, was, was hugely beneficial for the business, not only for me personally, but... Otherwise, I'm pretty picky on mentors. So there are a few people I would... I obviously, you speak to lots of people, lots of smart people, and that sort of thing. But in terms of being a sort of more formal relationship, there'd be very few people I'd, I'd sort of do that with. And would you say it's essential to have someone around you at certain points in your business journey that... Well, that can be a co-founder. That can be someone older. Um, I think having someone to bounce ideas off. Certainly when the relationship... I mean, Paz, Pat would talk about his experiences and often speak to him for an hour and a half. would be one genuine piece of wisdom that we'd be able to use in our business that was invaluable. So it's just finding that one thing in, in So certainly when I speak to people, whether it's officially as a mentor or whatever, um, is trying to get them, give them one or two or three really valuable pieces of information they can actually act on and action based on stuff that I, I did wrong in my journey. So uh, I think it's purely valuable. Business is really trial and error. And if you can have someone who's made those errors, stop you making them. What about then... Um you talk about things you did wrong. What are the things you look back on and wish you had done differently? Or what were the big mistakes you really learned from? We never had huge mistakes. Uh, lots and lots of little mistakes. Uh, I mean, every day we make mistakes, but it's hard to think of too many ginormous mistakes. Uh, could we have hired better people quicker? Probably is one. Obviously, you've got to pay for that. So um, instead of buying a bunch of businesses, we should have probably brought on really good people if they can travel earlier. That's probably one mistake we made, buying the wrong businesses and not getting great talent in. Now I've got some really great talent in Lux, such as Gabe's, but we never really, we've really been, we used to have sort of isolated guns around the business, but we've had a, 
only for the last couple of years we had a really great management team. Yeah. Um, now, you've got a very busy business life um, and for entrepreneurs, as you were saying, they've got to go all in and, you know, really have a crack at the hole. Um, you know, when people have families and friends, any advice on how to keep a balance? I mean, for you personally, you've got a young family as well. How have you been able to strike a balance? Uh, my wife was a super hard to big worker for us and she after our second kid she took maternity leave finally maternity leave so she was able to do a lot more with the kids um, having I think having a having family who sort of get it I think it's so often you see two investment bankers working together they sort of get the hours in at work or two lawyers so it's having that sort of shared understanding is, is pretty important what about um some of the hobbies you have, like sport and staying fit and writing, I see you, uh, you know, pen the odd article yeah, for crikey. less so these days. But, um, yeah, I sort of fit with running, a bit of F45 a couple of times a week, so runs for three or four times a week in gym, a couple of times a week in personal training, um, and, and do a fit bit of skiing when I can. So that's probably where it's, it's hard to find too much time other than that. I love to play golf, but just don't have time, Yeah. Sure. Uh, my first game of golf in nine years last week, which, which was... How'd you, how'd you hit him? Not great. Right. <laughs> uh, but as expected. A couple of quick ones to finish with. Who's your favourite comedian? Oh, probably has to be Seinfeld. Yeah. Uh, tennis player? Boy Roger. Band? Coldplay. Uh, fondest childhood memory? Uh, I have a pretty good childhood, so there's probably too many. But Come on, I think there's got to be something that... I look at a general group of memories from my grade four. You had an amazing teacher, you had an amazing teacher, an amazing teacher, Mr. Hannon, who was universally loved by everyone. Uh, and just the whole year was an amazing year. So it's hard to sort of separate. That was just a great, great year of childhood. Nine-year-old. Yeah. Um, what's the most memorable smell? Probably cut grass. Right. Why? Oh, it reminds me of footy and... <laughs> backyard good summer days yeah. in the backyard yeah exactly um, what are you passionate about um, I'm passionate about lots of stuff so naming one thing's hard but wanting to be wanting to be successful and give back I think is probably the the ultimate goal and I'm pretty competitive so I like to like to win but um, winning fairly and honestly and, and, and ideally helping people who, who maybe weren't as lucky along the way who would you most like to have lunch with? Anyone, dead oh, or alive? Buffett's a pretty big one. Maybe Bezos. I know those two. Yep, um, that would be an interesting lunch. Yeah. If you could play an instrument, what would it be? Well, I started playing the piano. I did it for a few years, and it was never a naturally great pianist. It was someone who could just listen. And, yeah. So I think being a really great pianist would be. Any areas of emerging technology you're specifically interested in? Or oh, I can think less about the, the cool areas of tech. I just like looking at what the business is. Does it solve? I tend to actually probably like uncool areas. So when we invested in the food delivery stuff, it was completely uncool. It became cool. Um, yeah, so it's not, we're not, I tend to sort of almost avoid cool businesses in a way. That's something that maybe it's common sense it is. One business invested recently is called Unyoked, which is a pretty cool business by two really great guys. And they put tiny houses in remote areas with wilderness and farms and that's a pretty cool oh, business I saw that I, I love that business not because it was cool because I thought it was a great, a great team yeah. great guys founders founders and a really great upside in that business to be something really special well, listen that has been excellent um, 
thank you very much for uh, spending a bit of time. That was great. I hope the Saints get a couple more wins yeah. and uh, more Let's competitive next year. Yeah. And uh, we'll, um, we'll catch up soon. Perfect. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam.